Welcome to the Mash Starter Podcast. Um, today I have a really, really cool guest. And it's someone that I really admire from a perspective of being extremely curious. And I think like I've never seen someone that looks into what small businesses, what big businesses, what startups, what VCs, what e- what's happening in the ecosystem for businesses, for brands, um, for everything, really, um, as much as um, Talia does. Talia, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Am I pronouncing your name right? I always worry about that. Yeah, you got it. You got it. You got okay, it. Okay, cool. <laughs> How are you doing? Um, I think we're on day 11 of lockdown. I'm not sure. Is it 11? I think it might be, it might be even be day 12. Um, I've semi lost count of the days, but I'm, I'm good so far. And you? Um, I'm feeling good. I think it's been a very interesting experience. Um, really a lot of reflection and like trying to really understand um, what this means, how it will affect me um, and how it will affect a lot more other people. So I've been busy doing a bunch of things around events for small businesses um, through virtual platforms and stuff like that. Um, but before we get into yeah. everything, um, I think just a, can you please give a, just a good intro around um, who you are, what you do um, and sort of where your focus lies. Oh, wow, that's, that's a long intro. Okay, so the first thing that I really did is I had um, a tech startup called Nifty 250 from 2013 to the end of 2017, um, which I co-founded with Lucas Adams. And it was basically a startup that allowed users to go to our online platform, order their Instagrams and have them delivered in a whole lot of different formats. And that was like the business to customer side. And then the business to business side is we printed for a lot of really big corporates, um, live Instagram printing at the events. And that's where, honestly, we made a lot of good money. Um, we landed up selling that at the end of 2017. Um, and I, we were just like, what am I going to do next? And I landed up taking a little bit of a break. I worked a little bit. And then I landed up with the job of creative director at Seattle Coffee Co., that's- which I have been doing for the last year and a half. And then I resigned from that job in December and since January this year, I'm back to kind of like freelancing and figuring out kind of the next steps of what I want to do. But I focus a lot of, on um, brand strategy, social media, content creation um, and creative direction, really. There's a lot to unpack in that. Um <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I, like I very much like like I actually had a meeting today and the woman was like, um, I just want to know if you can do what we're asking you to do. And so she told me what she wanted. And I was like, yeah, that's one of the things that I do do. <laughs> so like they, I have like a very wide range of things that I can do. And often a lot of people come to me and they only want one or two things. And so that, that's why I'm kind of enjoying freelancing at the moment, because I really get to use like a whole a huge range of skills on different businesses and that's what like keeps me really excited to think about different business project problems rather than like the same business day in and day out yeah absolutely so just to you know start really right at the beginning um you know um I, i look at sort of the business that you mentioned as being one of the really cool early guys that were using digital um at, at a really high level um, versus than most small businesses. And you're seeing the impact that not um, caring about digital is having on a lot of small businesses right now, specifically with the lockdown and stuff. But um, what, what did you see really early on um, in what digital could offer for a business um, that most people didn't really, really see? Um, what was the opportunity you saw and what really convinced you that that was the right idea to go after? 
Um, so that goes like even way back before that. So I studied um, business science marketing at UCT. And in my first year, I had a lecturer, Dave Duarte. And one of the things he was talking about, and like this is in 2008, he was talking about Web 2.0, which is what social media landed up becoming. But at the time, it was literally called Web 2.0. And I remember I was obsessed with MySpace back in like high school. And then we moved over to Facebook. And he was talking about this platform called Twitter and how amazing it was. And there was this blue bird and you could tweet your thoughts and people were posting about like what they were having for breakfast. And like, this is 2008. So, I mean, this is a long time ago already. Um, there were really not a lot of South Africans on it. Um, so I like joined way back then. And then I landed up interning for him. And then I landed up interning at another agency. And I was supposed to be working interning for the one guy they had there doing digital marketing and as it turned out the week that I was going to start he had resigned so they basically gave me his entire job which was all the social media for these like huge 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 alcohol brands um at the agency and they were like yeah just I guess you're going to tweet and do the Facebook and whatever. And I sat in meetings and I had the, this amazing experience for this internship, which was over a month of during my holiday. And I also learned in that period, like I really didn't want to work in an ad agency. But from that time on, I started interning. I started freelancing. I started, I did um, Mr. Delivery social media for a while. I landed up helping Sunglass Hat and then I had a blog. So I was like always very aware of digital. Um, even in, I think, my like third or fourth year at UCT, they actually asked me to lecture. Like, I was still a student, and they asked me to lecture the first years on digital because we got to the end of my business science marketing degree. And like literally like the last sentence of the last lecture was like, oh, there's this thing called social media and it's coming and it's quite important. And that was all that we learned about social media. Like we learned about billboards and TV ads and all of these things that like really didn't interest me. And I could see that they were, I mean, they obviously do work and they have their place, but I was very excited for this new thing. And what was really exciting was there weren't a lot of people kind of specializing in it. And I got in quite early and I just always saw the power and the potential in, in it. So that's kind of the, the gist of it. The gist. <laughs> the gist. That was a very, very long gist and I don't even think I necessarily answered your question. Um, I think you properly, did. I feel like, like you did. You did. You definitely did. Did I? Did I? Okay. Yeah. I think there was just like a very deep passion for it within me and I just, I just love social media and I see so much potential in it, which is why I always want other brands like where it's applicable for them to use these tools for themselves. Um, so I think we can just go into it before we go into the rest of your journey. But yeah. like, um, what do you think is the resistance that um, small businesses might have towards, um, you know, going the digital route, having social media, engaging with customers on those platforms? Um, it's very easy with startups. You know, I think startups sort of grew up or exist in this era where social media is a part of just how you engage with customers, um, how you attract customers, and yeah. also how you just retain customers. But um, what do you think yeah. the resistance is with entrepreneurs and small businesses in a traditional sense um, to digital platforms and social media? I think obviously with startups, it is very much built in. I think... I don't know if it's an age thing necessarily. Um, I feel like if it was people who are my parents' age or even younger than my parents, um, even people in their 40s are like, I just find that they are very afraid of social media and they don't necessarily use it all that much for themselves. Like they may have a Facebook and like, oh, it's their friend's birthday and whatever, but I don't know that they're necessarily making brand decisions via ads that they've seen on Facebook and liking pages in the same way that we use it. So I do definitely think there is an age thing because I think that when you use it for yourself, you can see quite easily how you could do it for your business. So like people who have bakeries and make cake and they're very active on social media, like as soon as they start their business, they are very active on social media. So I think it's just people who aren't necessarily using it for themselves in a way beyond kind of literally interacting with their friends. So I don't necessarily see that they see the value in it, maybe. Yeah, definitely. And I think 
Um, I've seen it mainly with small businesses where they're going, Ugh, maybe that's for other people to use. You know, it's other people's sort of issues. But like, um, I've seen just how many um, businesses have used social media in order to react and also adapt to the reality that we're facing now with, you know, COVID-19 and the lockdown that, that, that sort of followed that. And um, the one source of um, knowledge that I really used to understand what brands were doing um, to react and also adapt to the reality was just looking at your Instagram stories because you just share so much <laughs> around the reactions that brands had to the to yeah. the crisis and stuff. Um, can you speak to like um, one or two of those examples of the way brands um, were reacting and using social media um, to reach their customers and share um, what they were thinking, what they were feeling um, while, you know, the, the the world was really reacting and adapting to, to what was happening. So I think in terms of like good examples, I would have to say they were all international brands. Um, I had kind of been following the coronavirus from January. It had popped up in people that I know who are living in China and Hong Kong. And I was seeing it on their Instagram and then I was reading it about it in the New York Times. And then in February, it kind of went to Italy and I was sitting and waiting for the reaction in South Africa and there didn't really seem to be one. And I posted about it in early March on my own Instagram and someone messaged me and they were like, I'm very disappointed that you posted about this. And I was like, it seems a bit ridiculous to think that it's just going to skip South Africa and it's not going to come here and it's not going to be a problem. And I think that a lot of people had kind of dismissed it or really just weren't taking it very seriously at the beginning. And then it jumped to America. And I think that's when you started seeing the big brand responses of brands like Nike, New Balance, the big sneaker brands were starting to close their stores. I think Glossier, which is an amazing makeup um startup um, by Emily Weiss put out a really amazing statement on their Instagram saying that they were closing their flagship stores but would still be available online and why they were doing that and her reasoning for doing it and there were quite a few brands who kind of did it before I don't even know if it is mandated in America to have like the lockdown like that we have here yet but certainly they were ahead of the curve in doing that where I think in South Africa you saw like quite a big backlash against brands who was very clear what they what well at least what consumers on the internet thought that they should be doing and they weren't doing like Virgin Active was very much staying open and they were like I saw a lot of the brands saying we're waiting for the government to tell us what to do and they were putting like hand sanitizer and stuff in stores. And it was like so far past the point of putting hand sanitizer in stores at that point when like the lockdown was literally announced like two days later. And I think that people just in South Africa, I noticed that brands and businesses just really didn't react swiftly enough at all. And I don't know if that was like a communications issue or if the higher apps really were not I think, and I think that speaks to like social media not even being necessarily a big part of the plan because I have seen some marketing plans from brands now, but it has taken 12, 13 days to kind of roll those things out. I think like Virgin Active did a really poor job, if I'm honest, in terms of their communication. I saw that some, I think people went to, um, some of the gyms and it, and they, they had tested positive coronavirus, so they closed those ones. And then the government was like, no people over 100. So then they like um, resisted having too many people. And then it was down to 50. And then eventually when Soram Ramaphosa said, you know, we're going into lockdown, they were, I think they did an Instagram post saying like, we are, we are like adhering to the government's advice. And I just thought a lot of those things were quite funny because it was like, you're not like adhering, like you're being forced to close. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> the situation. Um, I don't know. It like the whole thing, like some of the wording of some of these things, I was like, has someone professional like read these? Um, and I just saw quite a lot of ads, if I'm honest, that I thought were in quite bad taste just in terms of like immune boosting and going on and on about immune boosting. And I was, and I just like, at the time, it just struck me, like, even if I was the healthiest person ever, and I was doing ginger and honey and whatever shots every single day, or if I was extremely unhealthy, and I never had your immune boosting ginger shot, like, I don't think that that free ginger shot with my smoothie is going to make any difference to me at this point in my life, if I'm going to get coronavirus or not. Absolutely. And I just thought it was in quite bad taste. Yeah, and, and, and I think those those really bad um, 
reactions are the ones that you really don't forget and you sort of don't forget the brand that yeah. was part of that because now you go you know if yeah. you were willing to stay open when it was very dangerous to do so where you know lives were at risk and you go you know what we're going to stay open we're going to keep going and you're going but you know there's danger everyone i remember everyone on twitter was just going to virgin active you know hey yeah. guys close you need to close you need to close because this is going to get out of control and you're going to um, end up with a situation that you can't control and I think even post lockdown, people will remember those things and they'll keep it in their minds. Like, hey, I remember that this brand, um, their biggest thing was to keep open rather than actually making sure that they were taking the best steps to protect the people that use their facilities and stuff like that. And it's, it's really scary to see stuff like that. But, um, what would your advice be to, um, brands to small businesses around how to react and adapt to the reality that they're facing now with this lockdown as well as the virus? I mean, I think that in terms of everything that came before, I think I, I said I didn't want to use the word lucky, but I thought that in South Africa, we were quite lucky in the sense that we had we had a lot of time to react and to see what was happening in Asia and in Europe and in America before it came here. And I think that generally sometimes people think that you have to keep recreating the wheel and like you have to be so innovative and like you have to be the first and you have to be the best. But generally, like you can actually just have a look at what brands overseas are doing and what you think was done well and then apply it to your brand. So if you liked how someone was really like, wrote a really good statement that was very personal and you could see that it was written by the CEO and she really cared about her staff and cared about her customers and cared about her businesses and how they were trying to pivot and be online and would still be talking to um, their customers via social media during this time and creating content that was fun and just keeping them engaged or whether you are an exercise thing and you were doing like free classes online or whether you're still doing like paid Zoom classes. Like I think there was like a lot of room to innovate and I think that we had a lot of time to prepare. I just think that we aren't necessarily like they always say Cape Town is like a very sleepy town and like everyone's not really working on a Friday and everything is takes very long time to get replies to emails. <laughs> I agree with that. Just not, by not the true. way. <laughs> <laughs> it's not not true. Um, and I think and I just think that our reactions unfortunately were just like a, like have been too slow and I think that things could have been done faster and I think in times like this is when you look back at it and be like wow there was like literally no crisis management plan in place we had no idea what we were going to say we had no idea what we we're going to do and obviously no one can prepare for a global pandemic like that wasn't in the cards but I think that everyone who wasn't looking at online before this should hopefully like try and fix it, like not go back to business as usual when the lockdown ends and not realize that I'm not saying that this could happen again, but like to have pivot your business so that you are you have more scale and you are able to just shift very quickly without it taking you out of business. Like I think things like um, online schooling, obviously, I think is going to stay very much that will just be an option, a channel. Obviously, people want their kids to go back to school, but like like university educations are really expensive, so why can't I do one or do courses at home while I'm part-time studying, while I'm part-time working, while I'm part-time doing whatever like I, th I think there are certain things that will come out of this that will be better I think like people have honestly stopped reading newspapers and now we just go on like the Daily Maverick or News 24 so I think there are a whole lot of and like even magazines I think there's so many um, business models that are really going to have to change and adapt to being more online even though they needed to before I think that this is really really going to be the switch to be like wow we can't keep operating like this is like 1970 definitely and I think that's something so I tweeted this um, I think it was last week where I was saying you know um it's crazy that it took a global pandemic to make us all digital natives where we literally are living online, right? Yeah. So we consistently, um, you know, before yeah. I'd be worried about tweeting at 3 a.m. in the morning because I know that I'm probably not going to get the engagement that I'm probably looking for. But now it really doesn't yeah. matter. You know, people aren't sleeping. People are constantly online. And seeing just the growth and expansion and explosion that's happened with um, digital content on, say, for example, a platform like Instagram Live, where um, 
before yeah. the audiences were quite low, where people were, you know, it wasn't really something people were paying attention to as a channel. Um, maybe that's just my own bias. But um, what do you think um, will happen to stuff like that, where people are going, you know, we are constantly online, um, on social media, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Instagram. Um, how do you see that sort of um, changing or adapting post-lockdown? So when we go back to whatever normal looks like, um, do you think Instagram Live will still do the numbers that it's doing now, which is absolutely insane? Um, do you think also people will be staying on Twitter as long as they are or using um, digital apps instead of newspapers and stuff like that? Um, I think they're all kind of different. Um, I've been talking and thinking about this Instagram Live thing a lot because it's really interesting to me when you think about how much amazing content is on the internet already. Like if I wanted to bake a sourdough, if I wanted to do whatever, if I wanted to teach myself another language, I could just like go on YouTube and I could, you like we could both watch YouTube videos on any subject we wanted, probably until for like 20 years without like running out of content because it keeps getting uploaded. So there was no reason for anyone to like be bored per se during the lockdown if you have data like in terms of that you can watch anything you want on youtube you can watch netflix you can watch showmax like there's there's like this abundance of content and that's not even taking into account like podcasts so it was very interesting to me that people seem to be flocking to instagram live and i think that it's very much a response of People don't want to be watching Sex in the City season five reruns that their friends aren't watching right now. I think it's very much this feeling of like wanna be like wanting to be in a community and being because we can't be together. So that's why I think Zoom and these things have like really just exploded, obviously. But um people wanting to be and see the same things at the same time, if that makes sense. And I think that that's why Instagram has live has done so well, because you can see all your other friends on it and talking, you can like leave comments and it is this live and people can respond to you. And I think that that's that interaction that people particularly living alone or maybe only with one other person are really like craving that kind of communication um, that's live with other people. I don't know if Instagram live is going to remain something that's so relevant when everyone goes back to their day jobs and their normal lives and doesn't necessarily need that live engagement because they can get it in the real world, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, and then I think in terms of, I think in terms of like newspapers, I think that's very much going to stay digital um, and subscription based. I mean, I, I guess my dad will probably still buy newspapers. Um, so I think, and I, but the other thing that I think is really interesting is that, E-commerce in South Africa has really struggled for a very long time because of the older generation who were like still scared to almost like put their credit card details to EFT to do this online thing and not really sure how it works. And I think that this has completely like broken down the damn walls of people like trying something for the first time. And when they try it for the first time and you order online and you get that amazing, oh wow, like the payment's just gone through and then it arrives and it, and it, the service was so amazing and it's so well wrapped and it's so efficient. I do think that a lot of people who have now during the lockdown period have tried online shopping for the first time will have seen how easy and convenient it is to fit into their very busy schedules when they go back to work. So I do think that, that this has been like quite good for e-commerce. Absolutely. And I think um, there's been a, a numbers going around really around um, the growth of um, services like Zulzi as well as OneCart. Um, so, for example, um, OneCart had a 300% um, growth in the volumes of um, orders that actually came through on their platform, which was insane. And, like, I think just... That's incredible. That's incredible. And it's, it's just that's just grocery delivery, right? I can't imagine what e-commerce looks like after this and other things as well. So even um, so, just going back to sort of your journey, um, being a, yeah. a creative director or something you. like um, Seattle, um, which, which really includes a lot of physical spaces Hello. as well. Um, how do you see this changing how we behave as people um, in those physical spaces like Sorry, coffee shops think- and stuff like that? I think, I think, I think, hello. Hey. I think I lost you. Hey, I think I lost you for the last like 30 seconds. Okay. I lost all sound. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) 
So what was so what was the you're gonna have to repeat the okay. question? Where did you lose me? <laughs> Sorry. Um, you were saying about the three hundred percent um increase. Okay, I'm gonna start from scratch, but I need you Okay, okay to do the clap again. Okay? Okay. Okay. One, One. two. Cool. So yeah. Um, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Don't worry. Okay. I'm just gonna leave five seconds and then I'm gonna speak again. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Absolutely. So I, I just think about um, a platform like OneCart that really, really um, benefit from, benefited from this crisis, um, mainly from being able to um, take grocery orders online. And they've grown about 300% um, during this period. And it's insane to see the impact that that has had on a, a grocery delivery platform. And I can't imagine what the impact will be on e-commerce as well. Just like you're saying, I think it's going to be such a massive, massive win in terms of adoption and getting people more comfortable um, with those platforms. But um, going back to your journey, um, being an art director um, for Seattle Coffee, which really includes a lot of physical spaces and like very brick and mortar spaces, um, how do you see um, human behavior changing um, in terms of interacting with spaces like that, coffee shops, restaurants, movie theaters and stuff like that. Um, I just think there's just going to be such a shift in terms of our mentality, our thought process. I think social distancing will just become the new form of who we are. Um, and, and how do you see it affecting um, businesses in that sense, in designing spaces differently um, and being very conscious of the, the mentality of consumers coming out of this? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I think it really depends how long we're in this lockdown for. Um, I think if it goes on for like more like 10 weeks, like it has in Asia, um, Italy's on day 31 and they're not getting out anytime soon. Um, I think people have been a little bit optimistic about this whole thinking that 21 days it's over. Um, I think if it was 21 days, I don't know how much of a change there would be in people's behavior because I don't know if you saw the photo of the promenade the night before lockdown. It was literally packed, like packed with people, like all on top of each other, like getting their last breath of sunshine. Um, so I don't know if people necessarily like were taking it seriously or like heeding the call that like social distancing was a very important thing. Um, again, there have been so many people who want to go jogging with their do- like there are just so many people I think that haven't taken this that seriously. So I think for the people who probably have taken it seriously, um, I do think that social distancing and just being in large crowds of people is just going to be, I don't want to say unappetizing, but just not like necessarily a pleasant experience. Um, I also do think that I just feel like there's going to be a very big shift in the way people think about consumerism and materialism and money and how they spend their time. And like really the things, I think it's a big conversation about the things that people find important because I think the thing that people will get out of this most is that the people, what they've missed the most will be other people and their friends and going to work, maybe not going to work, but like seeing their (laughs) friends and going out on the weekends. (laughs) Some people really do like their job. I do. Um, I I really love my job. <laughs> and like so like so you'll have this like going to the office um and going for walks on the mountain and the promenade and the freedom to be outside. I don't know how many people have necessarily missed materialism material items. Like I don't know how many people are gonna run out of this and like be like, I need to purchase XYZ. I do think also when you have such an economic shock and obviously a lot of people will have lost their jobs and on top of and like their income and also just such huge financial uncertainty of like when they're going to go back to having the same level of income again, whether they've been on paid leave, unpaid leave, whether they were saving for something. I think people, just the way they make financial decisions is going to be very different after this. Like, I mean, even for me, I feel like I could have been a lot more savvy financially than I have been. And I there were like things that I bought in the months leading up to this that I really didn't need to buy. Like I could have more money sitting in my bank account. So I don't know 
I think that people, as soon as it ends, they're going to run out and they're going to want to have that Seattle cappuccino. Like, I've been dreaming about an oat milk cappuccino for days now. But I don't know that people are going to want to spend the, their money in the same way that they did before. And I think that's, like, very interesting. Like, that's something that's very interesting to me because I don't see that... If you had a private plane and you had Louboutins, you had Gucci slippers, you had a Louis Vuitton bags, like, did any of that stuff matter in the lockdown? Mm. Like, like you couldn't show it off. Like, it wasn't important. Like, and I think, like, I think people will maybe have seen what is really, really fundamentally important. Um, and I, and I think that's really experiences. And I think those kind of like if you're in the business of experiences and tourism and travel i think those are the things that people are really going to want to put their money into going forward i don't know if it's necessarily going to the same same that we've been doing i feel like there will be like a very big shift definitely and i think um another shift that's really happening is really around um content specifically on twitter where you know, you're seeing a lot more people distributing content that is most likely to be fake news, um, stuff that, you know, most likely makes this crisis Ugh. last way longer. And it's something I've seen you really speaking about, just seeing so many people, you know, just being extremely, extremely irresponsible about the platforms that they have, having yeah. you know, a massive following and sharing fake news and um, telling stories that aren't real and, you know... Com- Diving into conspiracy theories, even. Um, can you just chat a, a bit yeah. about the stuff that you've been looking at? Um, I think the one thing on the one hand that I have seen, and I think it's been so amazing in South Africa that there are such insane um, repercussions now and that, like, you can go to jail and get fined an insane amount of money for spreading these kind of rumors, which I think really helps the situation. But again... That doesn't help someone in America making comments about South Africa. Um, you'll remember, is it called Bell Pottinger? Yes. Who did the whole white monopoly capital troll things. Like, I don't know how much of that still exists. I'm sure it does still exist in other forms. And I do think that there's so much on the internet that I don't believe is real, that I believe is kind of created by people who really want to inflame other people. In terms of conspiracy theories, I've been spending like a lot of time just looking at that and fake news. And I mean, I don't have WhatsApp, so I don't get like, I mean, sometimes people will like screenshot and I message me WhatsApps, but generally they don't because they know I'm going to be like, that's such bullshit. Like, stop believing everything you see on WhatsApp. Like, check your sources. Like, I've always been someone who's like, check your sources. Like, if this is not on the Daily Maverick, Mail and Guardian, News 24, New York Times, like, where are you reading this stuff? And like, if you do want to believe it, and you think that this is true, like, a lot of these like fake articles still have dates and names and times and people, I'm like, why don't you just Google further? And you can debunk whether this you whether this is true, it probably isn't true. And I also think that often like, these kind of things, they're there to make you have a big reaction to it and I sometimes feel like you actually have to sit back when you read something that you have such a intense reaction to whether it's negative or positive and really think like is this true or is this not true and like how can I go about finding because I don't I think there are a lot of fake profiles online spreading these kind of things um and I think just fact-checking is so, so important. I mean, I went down this whole, like, QAnon conspiracy thing today, and it was it was honestly quite, like, heartbreaking because I feel like conspiracy theories used to be something that was very, very fringe, and, like, only people, I don't want to say crazy, but, like, this was not, like, a mainstream point of view, and it, with Donald Trump and fake news, and he keeps pushing fake news, fake news, like the CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, none of this is real. And then you see like the kind of things that people who are on Fox News are pushing as real. Um, It is really disturbing how much these conspiracy theories are now filtering down and people are saying like coronavirus is caused by 5G. And like in the UK, they now have people like literally putting 5G towers, like they're literally burning them down and harassing workers. And I'm like, how... (laughs) their main thing is saying the problem with 5g is that there hasn't been medically tested if it hasn't been medically tested how are you telling me it's so bad for me 
Like, what is your basis? What are your facts on this? That's absolutely so insane. I just, That's so insane. It's, it's so insane. And then they're saying that the people who have coronavirus don't actually have coronavirus. They have 5G poisoning. And But the thing that's so insane is that you and I can have this conversation and laugh about it and be like, that's so insane that people believe this. But people actually believe this and like, these are not people you and I can have a rational conversation with and like present with actual facts that they're actually going to change their point of view or come around or read further. I think that I think there are certain type of people who want to be anti-establishment and want to believe negative things and want to go down rabbit holes. And they basically, the internet now is a tool to almost brainwash yourself. And that is very, very scary to me. Absolutely. And I think um, seeing just how easily, um, you know, the stuff can sort of um, look real. You know, they, they really work hard yes. on the writing, yes. the pictures, the links. And it's like, you really need to know what you're looking at before, um, you know, just engaging with it. Like, I'm so much more careful right now on Twitter around sharing different things, retweeting different things, because you genuinely need to verify things and make sure that um, you're being responsible with whatever platform you're ha- you have yourself. Yeah, especially I think these things that are so inflammatory. And I think that people think, oh my God, oh my God, like 5G is causing coronavirus. I have to, sh- this is so insane. I have to tell everyone I know. They just share, 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 share. And this is how this thing like blows up and becomes this hyper hysterical thing because people get so hysterical about it without necessarily researching or reading anything before they click share. And I also think there is this huge problem, obviously, of people who read headlines and don't read articles. And I think that was a huge problem News24 had in the last week when they published. I don't know exactly what the headline was, but it kind of, I guess, insinuated that Bill Gates was testing vaccine on Africans. And then if you read the article, it said they were getting ready to do whatever, but it was not like they were going to go and test these untrialed vaccines on like poor African kids. And people just read the headline and basically this created this whole other spread of fake news about what Bill Gates was supposedly coming to do in Africa. And this was like part of the conspiracy. And it's just, it's, it's, it's just, it's just so much. And I think that I don't, I don't know if the mainstream media kind of, I mean, I saw Vice did an article, which it's Vice, but I don't know if people have realized like how mainstream conspiracy theories have now become and I think that is terrible because before it was very much on the fringes and you very much had to go to certain sites to find it now you can find it pretty much everywhere like Instagram Twitter Facebook um YouTube rabbit holes of the stuff and there's no one there's no there's no like captions next to it being like you should watch this which it's like rebuttals, like all of this information. Yeah. So like conspiracy theories and privacy and these things are like a, a very, very, it's very, very worrying at the and moment. And I think um, that sort of helps me just go into the second part of that is just um, the privacy issue, right? So we've seen just like this insane yes. um, explosion of use of video conferencing. So um, we're using Zoom right now, yes. but let's be honest, this has been the yeah. center of this privacy discussion where you know people can literally just find a link of your Zoom and they can just bomb it, right? So I've been part of two yeah. Zoom calls where um, literally just 30 to 50 people join in like two seconds and they just start, you know, shouting racial slurs, they disturb the meeting, um, they take over what? the screen. Oh, yes, I've seen this. So they take over the screen. Um, so wait, so how many, how many people like were in your meeting? So it was a workshop. Um, it was a workshop on how to use Facebook for yeah. your business. And um, the, the instructor yeah. started the, the, the workshop and he was like, hey, guys, um, we're about to start the session. This is what the session looks like. Um, this is what we're going to be doing. And then um, at that point, there was about 20 of us, which, is, which makes sense um, in terms yeah. of numbers. And then um, he was playing this video to introduce us to how um, brands um, use Facebook. And I was just curious about that workshop because I've, I've, I've looked into this stuff a lot. Um, so I was on there and then yeah. as the video was playing, about 30 people just joined instantly. Like it wasn't gradual. You know, with, with Zoom, people join very gradually. Yeah. But that was 30 people in a flash. And then the audio just went into 
insane moods, just racial slurs, um, lots of racist stuff on there. Um, and then they took over the screen and started showing pornographic images. Um, it was insane, insane, insane. And a friend of mine was into another one. So could you, could you actually... Could you actually, like, see them or were their, like, cameras completely, like, covered? So they cover their cameras. And they just shout whatever. They're just shouting everything. <sighs> and they, they took over the screen. So, and, so the craziest yeah. thing is, so the craziest thing is that, like, if Zoom really wanted to, they could find the IP addresses of all those people who are doing it and find out very quickly if these are, like, idiots in America or they're in Russia, like, where these people actually are that are doing this. Or if they're just, like, troll farms and, like, somewhere else and they're literally just paying like a really inflammatory audio absolutely and i think it, it also brings into question of how much are we letting you know tech into our lives and just like um how way 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 too yeah much. and just like can you chat about that stuff because i've heard you speak <laughs> about it you know especially I concerns mean, yeah. around privacy i mean i mean the problem is that we're having this conversation now on Zoom. Um, the thing that I read on Zoom today was they were saying it's much safer if you use the phone app rather than um, on your PC because through the phone app you have to go through the iStore, the Google Play Store, so it has um, more controls over it rather than if you've downloaded it on your PC, you didn't have to do it through any app store. So it can literally take control of your camera and be watching you i mean i always have a piece of tape over my camera on my laptop but i mean there isn't a piece of tape over my camera on my phones um and they can also like tap your thing and i think if i can recommend one book to anyone who's listening to this would be um edwin snowden the nsa um you can call him the leaker the what's the word they use for him um wolf the what's what's the word? I've gone completely blank. Um, who blew the whistle? Yeah, he was a whistleblower. He was a whistleblower. <laughs> I remember. Yes. Yeah, the whistleblower. The whistleblower is exactly the word that I was looking for. He blew the whistle. Blew, blew the whistle. He blew the whistle on what was happening um, at the NSA. And if you read that book, the book is terrifying. It's his. It's his memoir, but it really puts into perspective that the NSA is capable of hacking any device you have and I think the interesting thing is that people think like countries like China or Russia are not not democracies and they're surveillance states and they're watching their citizens and at least the citizens know that this is happening and I don't want to say they've opted in but they're aware um so they have VPNs and they have all these things to try to get around it I'm sure that they're still 100% being monitored I think what's different in the American situation is that they were saying they were not spying on their citizens. But at the same time, they were collecting data on everything. Every email you send, every phone call you make, every WhatsApp you send, everything that you think is encrypted on WhatsApp is encrypted. They can get, like, literally every piece of content you ever put on the internet is available to them. Um, the difference between them is they're not going through all that data necessarily right now. But if something happens to you or they're looking into you, they are able to go back and look through all your Gmails, like literally every single piece of everything that you've ever put on the internet. And also not even things that you've just put on the internet, like every single Google search you've ever made. And like that's the NSA, but then you're not even thinking about a company like Google, how much information Google has on you because it literally knows where your home is, where you're driving to, where work is, all these like all these pieces of information you would give Google, what you search, what you're having for dinner. Um, then Google obviously has YouTube and all those searches. And then you're also looking at Facebook and the amount of data there. And then TikTok is also a huge, huge privacy concerns because as much as I love TikTok, it is a Chinese-owned company and like while like if Facebook has had data breaches that bad like what is happening with your data there and I think that people I think we've been lulled into this false sense of security and I think that everyone also just loves how easy and practical these tools are to use and they're generally free like the Zoom call is absolutely free and it's amazing but what are we giving up for the fact that we're not just paying for the call absolutely I agree with that completely. And like, um, but just speaking about, um, you know, the tools, um, I think we're going to go on to the more positive yeah. side of this, um, just so that this is not too um, analytical. Um, just like, um, <laughs> what tools do you think um, 
small brands, small businesses, startup brands really need to be using um, to really get onto digital onto the digital playing field and really start to compete in terms of finding the right customers, building an audience, building a, a community, and really um, start to adapting to the reality of digital and how it can really, really impact their businesses as well. So what platforms do you think they should be joining um, and how they can be using them as well? I think it all really depends on what the business is um, and kind of the target market for the audience. And then you kind of decide from there where you want to be. And I also think it's really important, and I think that often brands get this wrong, is that like your Facebook content should not be the same content as your billboard and your radio content shouldn't be the same as your Facebook. And your Facebook content shouldn't be exactly the same as your Instagram and your TikTok definitely shouldn't be the same as all of the above. And I think the most important thing on all of these things is finding out your brand tone, what is the message that you're trying to tell, and then really being able to tell the story using content across different social networks. I think that most people are not necessarily digital natives, and if they are, they would be doing already a good job of social media. And I think that's kind of where it's exciting, where we have a lot of amazing content creators in this country who aren't necessarily earning very well or being paid. It's very much like, oh, I'll give you this for free. Will you post about this? Um and I think that a lot of those content creators could be quite like on the other side, the other part of their business could be that they're helping brands and they're helping brands that they relate to craft their story from the brand side. And that's like where I've been for a very long time is that like I have a little bit of a following, like it's not a big following, but I've all my clients literally come to me via my Instagram or via my Twitter or someone recommended me. And that's like literally how I've got all the jobs and all the work that I've got since going freelance. So I think it's a very powerful thing and I think it's a very good system where you can't necessarily create the content yourself because you're busy running, creating your product or creating your service and working with your employees. You don't necessarily have the time or the knowledge to work on social media. I do think that everyone should kind of do like, I don't want to say a short course, but should like kind of have an idea of what is going on there. Don't just like let it go to the intern because it is a very, very powerful and important device for talking to your customers. Um, but I think there are lots of ways to get around it if it's not necessarily your strength and not necessarily something that you're interested in doing yourself. I think there are lots of fun and different ways to still be engaged on those platforms. Thank you so much for that. Um, can you please share just um, a bit about your newsletter, <laughs> which I, you know, I'm a subscriber of and a big fan of as well, because it really is um, a great experience in terms of content that's really um, curated really well, which I think is something that's become, it's going to become really, really important is finding people that can curate content yeah. at a really high level. I think there's so much noise out there for entrepreneurs, for creators, for small businesses yeah. around what they should be looking at. Um, if you care about branding and marketing, same thing. It's just you need someone to be able to point to the right direction. And I think you've been someone that's done that really, really well. Um, can you please share just about um, your newsletter and sort of what it's about? <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, so the newsletter is something I started, I think I posted in like September that I was going to start it. And I got people to start signing up. And then I think the first one, I think it went out in like November and I've just sent out the 20th one. I try to send it out every Sunday and it's called um, Curiously Curated. Um, that really came about from the fact that like back in the day, I used to be a blogger, I used to have Instagram, I used to be a content creator, like I used to do all of these things. But the thing that I've always loved the most and been the most passionate about is I'm just like a voracious like consumer of amazing content. And I feel like I've done that and like I've curated the internet and been able to see the most amazing content via generally who I follow on Twitter, who are amazing writers from the New York Times, from Wired, from GQ. Um, and I've just seen this amazing content and then like I feel like my love language is almost sharing this amazing content with my friends and my families and being like, this is the most amazing podcast, you got to listen or like this series is so good, you got to watch it. And I was kind of a little bit bored at work at the time, if I'm honest. And I kind of, I just had this feeling of like, I'm always someone who was always wanting to create something. And I was like, this newsletter is exactly what I should do. And I'd been thinking about it for a while, but 
I also have this tendency to start things before the time is right. And then like I'm bored of it when it kind of like becomes this big thing. Um, so I kind of waited and waited and then it just got to the point where like I just really wanted to do it. So I just went on MailChimp and MailChimp is the most unbelievable platform. And I think that email marketing is unreal in terms of like my open rate is like over 50%. You can track who's opening it, how many times they're opening, what they're clicking on it. And like, I haven't monetized it in any way yet. Maybe that will come. I have a few other things that I want to do from it in terms of curating different products and like really like spotlighting amazing South African brands and products. But it's just been something I've done for fun. Um, but I can definitely recommend like to anyone who's wanting to do newsletters or um, news like um Email marketing, MailChimp is just like honestly the most unbelievable tool. And it's like very, very easy to like teach yourself and get into this. It's, it's not difficult. <laughs> um, could you please just share like your, your website, um, your Twitter handle and stuff like that? Just so that when people um, can reach out to you, um, I think it would be really cool just to get a lot more people following the work that you're doing and um, how you're doing it as well. Thank you. So it's just, I'm just Talia Goldberg on everything, which is T-A-L-Y-A and then Goldberg. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed this episode. And um, I thought, I hope a lot of people really learned a lot from you. Um, I've always constantly learning from the things you post, the things you share um, and the things you curate. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Right. Bye. Bye. That's it. Cool. Yeah.